0: I'd like to mention that a new podcast will be debuting on the Questionable Endeavor Network very soon, the Slasher Sanitarium, hosted by Troy Bozen, who also does the Geek and Gamer Guild, and who appeared on episode 19 of this fine podcast. As you could probably guess from the name, he will be reviewing movies, television, and all sorts of media pertaining to the horror genre, and hey, what better time to listen to a podcast about horror than during the month of October, right? His first episode will cover the 1978 George Romero film Dawn of the Dead, so definitely be sure to subscribe to that. You can also tweet the show at slasherpodcast or email them at theslashersanitarium at gmail.com. And I will also give one more quick plug to the Shadow Vein podcast created by friend of the show Andy, who has appeared on episodes 7 and 17 of the Raw Attitude podcast. Shadow Vane is a radio drama podcast centered around tales of horror and suspense, and they just started their new storyline called 1692 The Risen, which takes place in and around Salem, Massachusetts at the end of the 17th century. Definitely be sure to subscribe to Shadow Vane as well, and hey, maybe listen to it back-to-back with the Slasher Sanitarium. Just be sure to leave the lights on.
1: Maybe I like
0: Hello and welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast on the Questionable Endeavor Network where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well, just like our new listeners in the tiny Middle Eastern island nation of Bahrain have done. Shoutouts to our new oil tycoon friends. And of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so. Before we begin, a big thank you to Martin Dixon from the New Blood Rising podcast for joining the show last time out and doing a great job as usual. Once again, please be sure to follow Martin on Twitter at Bunny Suicida and check out his column, Woeful Wrestling Figures on 4cronline.com. He's a great guy who churns out great wrestling content, so definitely be sure to check out everything he has to offer. All right, and now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special treat for you this time out. Joining the Raw Attitude Podcast this week, a man who is quite familiar with Martin Dixon because he also hosts the aforementioned New Blood Rising podcast, making his debut on this show from the great state of South Kakalaki. He has survived Hurricane Matthew and he is none other than Mr. William Rankin. William, would you care to introduce yourself to the Raw Attitude Podcast fans and tell them all about your projects?
2: Well, Henry, it's good. First of all, it's great to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I remember when we first talked about doing this episode, and since then I've just been like, are we getting close yet? And then every every week <laughs> I would listen, I'd be like, okay, all right, so I know where they're at now. Okay, okay, okay. So it's still about a month out, about a month out or something like that. And I was like, all right, right on. So I just want to get that out of the way. I cannot wait to dig into this. Before we do, the new Blood Rising podcast, what it is, it is a timeline-based uh, Wrestling podcast. I kind of wanted to give it a name because there are so many out there like this. This is actually technically one as well. It's a timeline yeah. based podcast, and that's that's fun. Like you know, it and it actually it's more fun in a lot of ways than covering you know present day wrestling because you, you know, man, it, it happens. You can listen to them like you can listen to anyone else's when they when they do them. Like unfortunately, negativity really finds a way to creep in, and it just gets yeah kind of gets sad and gets you longing for timelines like these and you go back when you were younger whatever age you were when you when you were diving into monday night raw or smackdown or whatever wrestling it was maybe wcw in fact that's where we started that was season one we tried really tried to divide this up like we go season like we're in our third season now and we're just trying to go through different wrestling timelines like first season was wcw we started when the first pay-per-view Vince Russo came in on. We wa- there were so many podcasts that were doing great wrestling eras. We wanted to go the opposite. We wanted, right. <laughs> we wanted to find a wrestling era that was downright reprehensible. It was awful.
0: <laughs> it was awful. So, yeah, yes, it was. I remember watching those nitros around that time and that was not, uh, not, not great times. So.
2: Henry, here's the thing. The, the reason we did it though, was it's not to just like, Oh, we're just going to laugh at a bunch of awful stuff. The thing is, there's a lot of good stuff that's in there. It's just buried, and it's really, really hidden in between a lot of very, very awful things that, you know, we can all... You know, there's so many laughable, whether it's a, something on a pole match or, you know, somebody <laughs> on a pole match or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, there's... But there were some really amazing things. Like, when you dug down and you're really seeing, like, kind of the ascension of Billy Kidman and Vampiro at the same time, that was kind of interesting. You know, sure. granted, it... It didn't it didn't get that full maturation that we that we wanted or anything but nevertheless it was there like Sidon, his um, his title run he had a title run that was from early 2000 till about March or April
0: yeah it, the millennium man
2: gimmick right it was actually like it's probably the best title reign out of that time period and that's not to say like well look what he was up against it's like no seriously right. like he had quality main event matches you know albeit they were kind of like car wrecks but you know, we're about to watch it. We're about to go into a show that has plenty of car wrecks, it feels like. Yeah. But that was the point. And then season two, we wanted to pick up with, you know, when WCW got purchased, go into the invasion, fun, kind of go through it show by show, see the high points, see the low points, and then just kind of try and see where, kind of track where these wrestlers go. Like where Steve Austin starts the invasion and where he ends at WrestleMania 18. I mean, we're that's obviously far past when the invasion ended, but that's when our season ended. So that was just kind of fascinating to look at. And now we went, like, completely different direction. Season 3 right now, we're in ECW. We're going to go through every single ECW pay-per-view. Not the eye pay-per-views, just the proper television broadcast uh, pay-per-views. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens, like, when we get through this season 4. I think we're going to kind of even get into more specific seasons, not just, like, specific federations, but specific runs and things of that nature. So... That's kind of where we're at, you know, like that's, uh, that's kind of the new blood thing. And there's, you know, all kinds of wackiness. We get all the, somebody once wrote that we have a bunch of bizarre hangups <laughs> and we do. I mean, <laughs> and under, it's Undertaker paired up with somebody's Bret Hart moaning and complaining about what I mean, it's, it is what it is, man.
0: I, lo- I love the Bret Hart impersonation, by the way. You guys were uh, – that's kind of what initially drew me to the show. When I was listening to the show and I and you guys uh, – and you started doing the Bret Hart impersonation. And both, uh, you know, I'd, rather, I'd rather blow my brains out. I was like, oh, my God. I, I, it had me dying every single time. It, it's
2: funny, dude. When I, when I, I told you I had to go to swim practice, so when I go to swim practice, I always wear my new Black Rising shirt because it's kind of a knock-down <laughs> shirt to me. But on the back is the – i would rather it's in big letters. I'd rather blow my brains out. Nice. And so I walk into the wine, Like I can tell people, see it. And they kind of give me that look. I'm like, look, man, I I'm not a clown in the woods, all right. I just I just host a podcast, all
0: right. <laughs> yeah, man, that's it's it's a great show. I, I've I've mentioned uh, the new Blood Rising podcast on this show before, not just when Martin was on, but also you know otherwise as no. well. I really enjoy it. You guys have a great dynamic going, and I assume that's just going to keep going on. And uh, so far, so good, I suppose, with the ECW pay per views. So oh yeah,
2: it's getting it's interesting because you know just the last thing I'll say about it is. We talk about the, the WCW, like there's bad stuff, but we're looking for the good stuff. And you kind of get an objective look. We're getting an objective look here at the ECW. And what we're discovering right off the bat is like, you know, barely legal. Awesome show. Hardcore heaven, eh, pretty good show for the most part. But then mm-hmm. like these, these two were kind of November to remember 97 and living dangerously 98. They're not really that great. They have some individual good spots. But that's the fun thing is that that's good because as you have discovered from where you started with, the Attitude Era. Not, not all these shows are great.
0: In fact, some of right. them
2: are pretty bad at times. But that's yeah, the...
0: Especially at the beginning, yeah.
2: But that's the fun thing is that, you know, people just will take the raw... Or take the Attitude Era and like, oh, it's all amazing. Well, you can say that, but then when you actually dive into it, you find out it evens out fairly nicely. You know, there's there are a few bad parts. There are quite a few good parts. There are amazingly memorable parts on both sides. So that's what makes it kind of fun, though, you know?
0: Absolutely. So all right, then. And, uh, and the last thing I'll just say is, uh, so Martin had actually told me you had a, uh, some health complications recently too, right?
2: Yeah, man. So, like,
0: it's funny, like, I,
2: get, I don't know if it was a, a food poisoning thing. We had taken my son to the uh, the pediatrician, and, you know, that's just, you, you never know what you're going to walk into there. And so, yeah, I just, I, I got, I don't get sick often. I usually am pretty resilient. And, man, this thing kind of hunkered me down. It's, in fact, it, like, inverted my diet. It's funny, like, I haven't touched... Like I'm a huge coffee drinker. Haven't had coffee now like in two or three weeks because of it. Because it just turned turned me away from it. So now I've got tea, which tea is great. It's frustrating sometimes because the water just doesn't boil fast enough for you at times. It's these are these are first world problems, Henry. So you know, bear (laughs) bear with me.
0: (laughs) Well, the reason I was bringing that up is you know just to make you feel a little bit better. I thought I could maybe cheer you up by letting you know that there are actually illnesses that happen only to wrestlers. Basically, I don't know if you were aware of this. In fact, just for you, William, I actually compiled a top 10 list of uh, illnesses specific to wrestlers. So, oh. would, would you like to hear them I, I by any wait. chance? I can't wait. Go ahead. Okay. Go, 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 10. Let's do it. 10. Bret Hart palpitations. <laughs> <laughs> 9. 9 John Laryngitis. Okay. Yes. Num- number
2: 8.
0: Number 8. Number 8. Measles, mumps, and rubella twins. <laughs>
2: You can look, but please don't touch.
0: Please, please don't touch. <laughs> right. <laughs> number seven, malaria canellus.
2: Ooh.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Number six, toxic shockmaster syndrome. Oof. Well. Yep. Definitely. <laughs> don't want to go there. No. Uh, number five, degeneration eczema. Oh God. Definitely classic. Don't want that one. Suck uh, it. Number... No, please
1: don't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's about right. Uh, number 4 Aranrexia arrhenxia—that's a brand new one. You don't want to get—you don't want to get stuck with that. Yeah. Number three, sudden infant death syndrome for crazy children, or as it's more commonly known, psychosids. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> wow. Okay. Don't don't want to go there. And uh, number two, leukemia gallows. Oh. Oh no. Oh yeah, no. no. It's a bad, bad one. <laughs> and he, yeah, I know. And he's a doctor, and he was still—he still ended up getting it. And of course, number one hepatitis O'Neal. So there you go. That's, those are 10 wrestler illnesses. So don't feel bad. It happens to everybody. Wonder happens he got to suspended.
2: Lessons. That was the whole reason he got suspended. Nobody knew it was just so he could, uh, you know, kick the hepatitis. That was the
0: whole reason. That's, that's right. That's why Vince was like, don't, don't touch me. Don't, don't ever touch me again. And let that be a lesson to Raw Attitude podcast fans. I'm not above doing a terrible bit on this show. So, you know, just, just so you know, but back on a more sincere note. So I, I got to admit, I'm quite Excited about this because you had previously mentioned to me, I think you said this was your all time favorite episode of the show, or it has one of your all time favorite angles. Yes,
2: yes. Like, Henry, you're in the sweet spot. I think you're in the sweet spot of the attitude era. Like, for me, I've talked about this a lot with Charlie and Jason and Martin. For me, 1998, from pretty much like, I'd say from, it's really from January, but if you really want to get more and more specific, like the hottest part of it, I'd say like from that April of '98 through probably, I I think I'd say like mid-99. It's the best. In fact, I'd go one step further. The best visual evidence is that Steve Austin DVD, Hell Yeah, the third installment of like his compilation. Like the first one was Stone Cold Said So, which was like 97 or 96, 97. Austin mm-hmm. 316 Uncensored, which was... Kind of late 97, 90 era, WrestleMania, yeah, WrestleMania 14. I think it had a little bit of, uh, I think it had Unforgiven 98. But then when you get, um, hell yeah, you've got over the edge, 98, that whole angle, which we're in, Mm -hmm. all the way through Backlash of 99. It doesn't get better than that. That is it. That is, and we're going to, and you'll see specifics throughout the show that kind of highlight where in, in many ways, and this goes right in the face, like, Attitude Era podcast fans know that it's, when you go through the two thousands, like it's it's about as crisp as you can get when you look at mid card and upper card. But I think just in terms of angle, this is the best year. This is the best events in Austin.
0: Absolutely, yeah. It's still very fresh at this point, even though they're still kind of uh, every week they're obviously having Vince and Austin bump heads in some form or fashion. Right. But it's still very very fresh at this point. And well, actually, with that being said, shall we jump into it? Shall we begin? Beautiful. Well, it is Monday, May 25th, 1998, and we are pre-taped six days in advance from the UTC Arena in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Other noteworthy events held in this arena include In Your House Final Four, WCW's Clash of the Champions Four, not to be confused with the recent WWE ripoff Clash of Champions, and Halloween Havoc 1991, which featured the infamous Chamber of Horrors match. Cue up the opening theme, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Not too many noteworthy signs tonight, but I did spot one which said, "The Rock has titties." So when I saw that sign, it made me wonder if Rock also saw it, and like that ends up being the determining factor in his decision to get that pec surgery exactly. just a few months that's, down the line. That's
2: right, because he—that's why he wore that jumpsuit through like, exactly most yeah. the early
0: '99. That's right. Yeah. Did Did you happen to notice any uh, any
2: quality signs? This is not my strong suit. This is where Charlie and Jason and Martin are just eagle eyes on signs. (laughs) And part of it is, Henry, most of these signs, they're just – there's such a a normalized level of all bad, it feels like. Most of these are just so bad. So I kind of leave that to you. I will leave that ball in your court for some.
0: That's perfect. Yeah, I mean, I I really – I search – quite a bit throughout the show and on this show i really didn't find too many it seems every week somebody thinks they're clever with a sign like china is a man or <laughs> val Venus has no penis like those signs are there every single week and, uh, and occasionally your nation of masturbation signs as well but yeah this week nothing nothing really I, jumped out i will say
2: i do think i saw a couple of poets in the crowd they're like your, your ass is grass when you hear the glass yeah i did like that. see that one like,
0: oh, jesus yep bill <laughs> and thomas eat your heart out Ah, <laughs> oh, beautiful, beautiful poetry. So before we get into the festivities, I want to quickly mention there were two notable wrestlers who did not appear on the show tonight. The first was Dustin Runnels, only two weeks removed from burning his gold dust costume. Last week, Dustin lost to Dude Love, with the stipulation being that he would now have to work for 30 days without receiving a paycheck. But apparently he doesn't have to work tonight because he ain't on the show. And the other noteworthy absence, Val Val Venus. He had his debut match on Raw last week, but this week, not on the show. Very curious. He did, however, compete in a match on the Shotgun Saturday Night tapings before Raw began, where he defeated a young man by the name of Matt Hardy. Whatever happened to that guy? Incidentally, Matt's brother Jeff also competed on that same episode of Shotgun, losing to Mark Henry. But anyway, the point of the story is that tonight's episode of Raw will feature no Venus and no Dust, and So, William, I hope you don't miss either of them too much.
2: It's already been deleted from my
0: memory. Uh, Pun intended there? I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, because I mentioned Matt Hardy and you said deleted, so... Doesn't ring a bell. No idea what you're talking about. Nope. Oh, okay. So you're not keeping up with the the final deletion with uh, TNA now? What's a TNA? Exactly. Okay, perfect. (laughs) Fair
2: enough. (laughs) Although, did you hear about today The, the... Billy Corgan, like, he's put a restraining order against them... It's got oh. it's gotten bad. Just I, I won't even go any further with it. just check it out. It's pretty heated between him, Dixie and her husband. Wow, we'll see where that goes.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard about that. But you know what that's current news. Who cares about that shit? I' care about 18 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note we open with Vince McMahon, Pat Patterson, and Gerald Briscoe walking to the ring accompanied by three police officers and 10,000 booze. Vince grabs a mic and says last Monday night was truly glorious, shout out to Bobby Roode, because Patterson and Briscoe came out of retirement to lay a beating on Stone Cold Steve Austin, along with the help of guest referee Commissioner Slaughter. The boss says that he himself drained the venom from the rattlesnake when he dressed as a fan, hopped over the railing, and whacked Austin with a steel chair. Vince then utters the phrase, I assaulted Stone Cold Steve Austin and got away with it. More on that in just a bit. However, he says that last week's glory will not come close to surpassing what they will feel this Sunday at Over the Edge when guest referee Vince counts the three, guest timekeeper Gerald Briscoe rings the bell, and guest ring announcer Pat Patterson announces Dude Love as the new WWF champion, signifying the end of the Austin era. As you might expect, this brings out... Stone Cold Steve Austin, who has a rather large smile on his face considering the fact that last week's episode of Raw ended with him being assaulted by Dude Love and the corporation. Austin walks right by Vince and the police officers, grabs a mic, and, well, William, since you specifically singled out this moment as being the most memorable part of this episode, I'm just gonna go ahead and play the clip right now. I hope you all enjoy it.
1: I hope you're proud of yourself because what you've done is proved... Without a shadow of a doubt, you are the world's dumbest son of a bitch! Uh-oh. Oh, Oh, you'll take it. Yeah, you do. Officers, he just told the world. Step back, jackass. Don't touch me. He just told the world that he assaulted Stone Cold Steve Austin. That's exactly what you said. So, since I was assaulted, I want you to do your job and arrest that piece of trash right now. The who, I don't that's
0: yes, that's right. Vince McMahon is going to jail. However, it appears he won't be going alone because once Vince gets cuffed, Patterson and Briscoe start shoving the cops, which Austin points out is obstruction of justice. It's a good thing Stone Cold was there to tell them that because it certainly seemed like the police were going to let that slide until Austin mentioned it to them. Let's just say if it was the nation of domination shoving those police officers, I don't think those cops would need to have been prompted to get physical with them, if you know what I mean. Hashtag hashtag wrestling lives matter. So Patterson and Briscoe also get cuffed, and Austin then pulls out a beer. He proceeds to kick the handcuffed Vince in the stomach and then pour beer all over him, which, if I'm not mistaken, should also be considered assault, shouldn't it? I'm no lawyer, but I assume that kicking a handcuffed man would probably be a big no-no from a legal perspective, but no matter... Austin gets away with it, and Vince, Patterson, and Briscoe are being hauled off to jail. William, what did you think of this opening segment? There's, there's so much to hit on.
2: First thing I want to just call out, because I didn't notice this until I re rewatched this,
0: mm-hmm. because
2: I know you're big about talking about when things started, like The Rock with either some catchphrases, the finishing move, when certain things that are huge now, when they started. Did right. you notice when you saw that replay, when Vince had the Austin mask on, I think that's the debut of the Vince walk. If you notice, he, oh. he kind of does that the, the the exaggerated Vince McMahon walk that we would all come to love and lampoon over the years. If you go back and look at that, I think that's the debut of it. I'm not sure if it happened any time before that, but that's the first time it stuck out to me.
0: Yeah, you might be right, because I don't <laughs> recall seeing him do it uh, in any of his entrances so far. He's very sort of cavalier when he walks to the ring with Patterson and Briscoe. He's not doing the, the exaggerated arms swinging everywhere.
2: When you get through, like, go through this entire segment, first off, what's like really great is that Vince is really finding himself as a heel more and more. And what's a shame is that he's going to eventually move away from this and just go into complete insanity. Right. What's great is that in the beginning, he really works really strong, manipulative kind of heel work here. Like, you know, and and, and that's what's great. Like, it's great wordplay. He sets himself up. It's fantastic. I even love that. Of course, like one thing that's great about watching Raws back in the day is if you don't remember what current events were, just sit and listen long enough, and Jr. will throw yeah. out something I'll remind you, like the peace accords in Northern Ireland. I was like, yeah, oh man, that, that happened. Then?
0: Okay, yeah. It seems like every week around this point, either Jr. or Lawler are sneaking in a reference to Viagra as well, because oh, yeah. that had just that had just gone on the market like three weeks prior. Yeah. So it's it's they're all about Viagra. There's a great callback,
2: All right, Because remember. It was the. It was like two or three weeks before Mania. It's when Austin kind of did the. He was holding Raw hostage. He was in the ring. This is when he ripped Vince McMahon's pocket, and you know it was all yeah. about. Remember, Vince said it's calling Mike Tyson the baddest man on the planet is a figure of speech. Right. What's awesome is this is a callback to that, except now it's yes. backfiring on Vince because he said he assaulted Austin. And he said it was just a figure of speech, but now yep, says the same thing. Yep, that's a r- awesome like small little nugget of a callback. It's great. What's that's a great point, yeah. What's 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 hilarious is, of course, Steve Austin has a greater knowledge of the justice system than these cops, especially the I miss, the Conan O'Brien looking cop who's like, "Isn't that obstruction of justice?" Yeah, yeah, you know what it is. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, Thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> that's why uh, That's why Austin later became a sheriff, clearly, because he, he knew the law. It also goes back to every time Austin gets arrested, if you listen to him, he's like,
2: yeah, I know what to do. I've done this before. I've done it before. Right. <laughs> and I don't think that's kayfabe. It was. Yeah. We'll find out years later. But, um he's a veteran of the legal system. <laughs> but overall, in all seriousness, what's really great about this is this is the first time Vince has really been outsmarted big time. Yes.
0: And the crowd loves it. I mean,
2: maybe, like, in a way, this is your first great payoff from what happened with Brett. In a way. like Even mm-hmm. though, like, some people might say, well, Austin did hit him in the head with the chair at Unforgiven. That's pretty good, right? Yeah, but Dude Love was kind of in the way. It wasn't like he was truly aiming first for Vince. Vince just happened to be
0: there, and he was like, ah, fuck right. it. <laughs> you know, just wiped yeah. him out. But. <laughs> Almost, almost looked accidental when he did it. Right, but this almost is almost kind of.
2: What's great about this is Austin outsmarted Vince, and that doesn't like when somebody outsmarts Vince. That's even better than Vince getting beat up, even though that can be hilarious. But it's <laughs> fun to see him get outsmarted. That's what's great. The,
0: the crowd is absolutely nuclear. Like, yeah, you can barely hear Austin and Jr. on commentary yeah. as it's going on. The crowd is that friggin' loud. And of course, like the
2: button on it is. JR. Doing Steve Austin is doing what the federal government couldn't do, and that, yes. that that's when Charlie always talked about. Always cracked him up over the years was that line, and it's true because you know, like we're not in all in all honesty, we're not that far removed from that. You know, like no, from, that was like five years prior, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, like this this is just amazing. I mean, like it's it's and this is the go home. Like we're this is our go home before over the edge. Am I not am I not mistaken? No, you're. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yep. I mean. As far as opening segments go, and if you go back and listen to Steve Austin's podcast, the one he did reviewing the Raw, Roshane came back, and it was just Detroit crowd just came unglued for it. It was great; everyone was emotional. It was fantastic. He talked about how it was as good of an opening segment of all time. I think this one is too, and it, yes. it's it's just because like we hadn't gotten an opening segment like this. I'm not going to say in the attitude area yet because there might still – there might be one that I'm missing, but this is just one of those that really sticks out. I think it's – I honestly think it's a bit underrated. I think the beer truck kind of overshadows this, obviously, what you'll get to in a year's time. Uh, Yeah, that's coming. But, you know, like uh, the final point I'll make about it, what's great about this segment is the energy this creates permeates throughout the rest of the show. Right. And that is a hard thing to do. Like, nowadays, like, I always get excited to see the opening segment of Raw because I always think I'm going to get something like this. And it almost never happens. But that's okay because yeah. when it does happen, it makes it special. So, when you watch Raw nowadays, a lot of times that opening segment happens, it's kind of bloated, they go on kind of long, and then it just the momentum just falls flat. Mm-hmm. And it's tough to really get that back for the rest of your three-hour run. I think this show does a great job, as we see. Like, I don't think there's that many low points. There's some that are not so
0: great. But I think that energy from that first segment really does maintain itself throughout this show. Definitely. And, and as we'll talk about throughout the show, there are, still, there are several cutaways backstage where it's still going on, basically, where the angle is still continuing. Yeah. So it's keeping it fresh in the crowd's mind, basically, throughout the night as well. But yeah, a great opening segment, I would agree. So after a commercial break, we get our first match of the evening, a six-man tag match pitting the Disciples of Apocalypse, Chains, Skull, and 8-Ball against LOD2000 and a mystery partner. Before the match, Hawk grabs a mic and informs us of who this secret person will be. He says, and I quote, Ladies and gentlemen, introducing, from the south side of Chicago, Puke. Now, for those of you who are unaware, Puke is none other than Darren Drozdov. Now, obviously, we as wrestling fans all know what happens later on in Draz's career, and we can delve into that at a later date. But for now, let's discuss his debut and why he was given the name Puke. So Draz actually competed in the National Football League as a nose tackle playing for the Denver Broncos from 1993 to 1994. His big claim to fame was on an episode of Monday Night Football when, you guessed it, he vomited on the football before the play could begin. Additionally, Peter King of Sports Illustrated wrote an article about Drazdov in 93, where Draws stated he puked at almost every game during the season, and that he would reportedly be seeing a psychiatrist to cure his, quote, chronic vomiting problem. Draws would later claim he could actually vomit on command, which would play a part in him getting hired by the WWF. Now, around this time, film director Barry Blaustein had access to the inner workings of the WWF while he was filming a documentary called Beyond the Match, Which would ultimately be given a limited release in the United States in October of 1999. Side note, I saw it in theaters twice. At this time, Blastine's cameras were present when Draws had a backstage meeting with Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon, and Jim Ross. And during this meeting, Vince famously asked Draws to demonstrate his rather unique talents.
1: Well, I've got one thing I want you to do for me, okay? And that's going to be right back over here. Oh, no. I've been waiting for this. Okay. I guess okay. you want a little coffee
0: up? or what? huh, huh? Oh, God. huh? I think
1: I'll be good. Need
0: some more? Huh? <sighs> Try not to get it on the rest of my table here. I not can huh? do that. Can you do that? Huh? You going to get sick? That's a possibility. Huh? Huh? Right? Oh. <laughs> oh, my God.
1: He's going to, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to puke. He's going to puke. He's going to
0: puke. He's going
1: to, he's going to puke. <laughs> That's it
0: oh man he's gonna puke but anyway getting into the match itself sure enough Draws immediately tries to live up to his nickname by attempting to vomit on one of the DOA's motorcycles but they jump him from behind before he can do it Draws' offense was pretty conservative as you might expect for someone in their first match hip toss drop kick arm bar pretty safe stuff for the most part eventually all six men began to brawl with each other with Draws and Chains being left alone in the ring Draws managed to hit a Jim Duggan-esque clothesline from a three-point stance. Then he delivered a powerbomb to Chains, which was good enough to pick up the three count. And no, the irony is not lost on me. The Draz's finisher in this match was, of all things, a (laughs) powerbomb.
2: We have this discussion all the time on the ECW show. The powerbomb should be reserved for big guys and big guys only. Because that's what it's meant for. It's a big power move. Granted, the one good thing didn't
0: kick out didn't kick out right so are you saying d brown should not be using the power bomb
2: like well all right so that's sky high you're talking about sky high right
0: yeah well, i'm talking specifically about the move that ends up uh you know doing to draws what ends up happening to draws. oh yeah of course and elliot yeah. yeah that's it was d attempting a power bomb so sigh spoiler alert for that for a year from down the line man that's so sad um, man yeah it that is that's tragic not even gonna joke about that because that that really does suck But after the match, the two teams continued to brawl until Commissioner Slaughter and several referees came down to ringside to separate them. Hawk and Animal will face Skull and 8-Ball at Over the Edge this Sunday, so perhaps they will finally be able to blow off this much-too-lengthy feud. William, your thoughts on this match and the debut of Puke?
2: I went too bad. You know, um, uh, again, when these guys get together, like, it's a combination of... of well, it's just a lot of no-selling at times. Like, nobody yeah. wants to sell for anybody or anything. You know, I mean, obviously, I keep up with your show, and I've been listening to how, you, how you've how you been going through it, LOD since they've come back. And, you know, I mean, we're, we're not even at that point, yet, but you can tell the wheels are really coming off on Hawk. Yeah. You can see that, you know, this was a guy who used to be just so jacked, like ridiculously strong, just the way he looked and everything. And now, like, you're just kind of seeing a guy for... You know, who's still trying to go at the speed he was probably in the 80s, but he doesn't have the endurance. He doesn't have the gas for it. And that's what's just kind of rough. That's what's kind of rough to watch. But I do think, like, this was as good a kind of final, like, final big feud for them as you can have because they, they kind of, these guys match up well. DOA and LOD. Like, I mean, granted, it's a, it's a bunch of three letter things, but still, it's like, you know, these <laughs> they, they match up well. And it's going to be great. Like, I, it, this is still going to be a fun one to see how it progresses and everything. Like, that's that's the fun thing here is that you could have easily blown this off, but they do find new ways to try and keep this creative. Like, when they introduce Twin Magic for the first time, and how are they going to overcome right. this? And we'll bring in Puke instead. Okay, well, where does it go from here? Stay tuned. You know, like...
0: Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> boy, does it ever go someplace interesting from here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, in the interim, before that whole thing happens, there's definitely... Um, there's a a person from the LOD's past who returns, a gentleman who is currently in NXT, by the way, who uh, ends up getting mixed up with the uh, the LOD-DOA feud. So stay tuned for that. So we then cut backstage where Gerald Briscoe, Pat Patterson, and a still-drenched-in-beer Vince McMahon are being escorted out of the arena by the police officers. We even get what I believe may be the first-ever instance of the boss uttering the phrase, I'm Vince McMahon, damn it! So we got a couple firsts there. Stone Cold then shows up and tells the cops he wants all three men put in a squad car and taken to jail. Austin is even nice enough to help the cops by scrunching Vince, Patterson, and Briscoe in the back of the same police car. That's very kind of
2: him. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. I just love when he's like, hey, who's driving this rig? Let's get it out of here. (laughs) And did you notice Vince also drops at his lawyer's Jerry McDevitt? I think that was awesome. Yeah, I loved, that. I loved that because that guy's that guy's a mad dog, man. He will over the years just the the, the cases and the things that you know we've kind of heard about. Like that guy guy goes after people and he usually wins. <laughs> I mean, th-
0: yeah. doesn't mess around. I remember too. I think it was the Ultimate Warrior in his Hall of Fame speech mentioned Jerry McDevitt for uh, for something like he. There was some case I think the WWE was on the losing end of, and he was like, "Oh, come on, Jerry McDevitt! Like, what, what, what happened there?" So just one of those random side notes where it's like, "Why is the Ultimate Warrior mentioning the WWE?" Well, it's the Ultimate Warrior, so you know he does what he wants. So when we cut back to the arena, we briefly see what appears to be Al Snow and Head both wearing cowboy hats and walking to their seats up in the balcony. However, neither Jim Ross nor Michael Cole actually mentioned this, so we just move on to the next segment, which is Owen Hart versus Dan the Beast Severn. Now, William, I don't know about you, but when I saw this was the next match on the card, two words came to mind. Fuck yes! Oh, absolutely. I mean, oh, yeah.
2: and, and the thing was, like, I was, I was scared that initially, like, this thing was going to end, like, really quickly. Like, obviously, we, we know what kind of finish we're going to get here, and we get that, but they actually give these guys some time. And that's what makes this still a bit of a payoff, considering, you know, you're getting to see these two guys work together. So, you know, yeah, I think this is actually a pretty darn
0: good match here for what it's worth for what you get. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's a lot of good work. Yeah, I think they end up having. A, I think they have a pay per view match at some point down the line too. Good stuff. Or maybe it's maybe it's a raw match, but I think they do get a, a more lengthy encounter eventually. But of course, Severn enters wearing his customary gray t shirt, plain black tights, and NWA World Heavyweight Championship belt. And of course, he still has an amazing nineteen seventies mustache as well. With the
2: great theme song, like one of the best and underrated uh, Attitude Era theme songs, without
0: question. Yeah. I'm- I'm glad you say that, too, because I, I played a little snippet of it a couple of weeks ago on the show. And yeah, when you for some reason, when I look at um, you know, if you look at these like top 10 lists like greatest theme songs of all time, Severance uh, on a lot of people's list, which is really surprising because I didn't actually remember this theme, but it is a really great theme. So yeah, definitely for sure. That was one thing about uh, about the Dan Severn era I had forgotten was his theme song. So so kudos to uh, I guess it would have been Jim Johnston at that time, because yeah, definitely makes him seem like a badass. In addition to the fact, of course, that he is a legitimate badass yeah
2: you see when he locks in the kimura on uh he he locks that in i think that's where the finish comes in because d breaks it up as he's got that on uh, got that on owen and like the thing about this match it's great Is like it looks it's the closest thing to when we hear about like how bret hart you know wants to work like the kind of matches he he works really stiff really Mm -hmm. uh, you know really snug matches and and it's great like what's what's awesome is you can tell Owen is willing to, you know, take those snug kind of shots. A lot of guys wouldn't. I don't know what you're going to do with the brawl for all, but, you know, that, that I, know <laughs> people, I know a lot of people were on edge when Severn, the possibility of him being in there was because it was like, yeah, that guy could really fuck me up. So uh, I, yeah. I don't know if I really want to work with him. So that's what was good about seeing Owen in there with him because... You know, there there're bright spots here and there for for the rest of the time. Owen's going to be with us and stuff. And this is actually one that's kind of hidden, but it's it's a nice one to come across as him working with Severn, which. Well, will ultimately lead to a pretty good storyline for the summer for him. So, yeah, I just just really enjoyed this. I I I love I still love that Owen goes for the Pillman Stomp. Like, I mean, he really goes for it all on Severn, yeah. which I thought was cool.
0: Yeah. The one thing I'll say about the match, though, is it seems like the crowd doesn't maybe know how to, like, react to Severn's offense a little bit because he has such an interesting hybrid where it's, like, old-school wrestling and mixed martial arts, like, very early on and you know, the MMA Era, uh, UFC at this point I think was on like UFC 18 or something like that, right. and it's it's by no means you know as much of a household thing as it is now. It's kind of I think around this time it was like John McCain who had called UFC you know human cockfighting. It was banned from a lot of pay per view markets, right. so like so Severn style basically you know that MMA style was not as mainstream in the WWE as you know now when you see like you know the Undertaker using the the go go plata or whatever the hell so i think the crowd sometimes doesn't know how to react but that's just one thing but i i i like the match as well as you said, basically the match ends. Severn puts Owen in the armbar. So the Nation of Domination, his stablemates, The Rock, Mark Henry, D.Lo Brown, and Kama, they all run into the ring to ambush Severn, cause the disqualification. So Rock hits Severn with a rock bottom, followed by two big splashes from the world's strongest man. Owen then puts the chair around Severn's ankle and climbs to the second rope, preparing to, as you said, pilmanize Severn's ankle the same way he did to Ken Shamrock one month prior. However, a referee grabbed Owen's foot to prevent him from doing it, and then several more referees and Commissioner Slaughter ran into the ring to prevent further damage. Personally, at this point, I was thinking it was going to be Ken Shamrock who ran out to save the day, but uh, no, still, still selling it. Although I think at this point in time, Shamrock might actually have a, a legitimate injury, which is why they wrote him off. But uh, yeah, it's I, either that or he's filming that segment. movie.
2: There's a movie he did around this time called Champ. I think it's called Champion. Oh wow, dig this one up because it's 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 hilarious because like it's it's him like as he's 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 the antagonist but he's kind of like the anti-hero antagonist where like by the end of it like he's actually ends up being he ends up helping the the main guy it's terrible it's a garbage movie (laughs) it's 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 got a woman who's a a cop and her name is sergeant pepper and and there's there's a line there's a line where the guy's like my parents wanted, wanted me to be a doctor he's like so you could be Dr. Pepper and it's like, ah, oh, fuck. oh uh, god. Yeah, it's it's a shitty movie, but that was in the era of time where it's like if a wrestler was in something, like, I've gotta watch it. Like, especially when Steve Austin does Nash Bridges, it's amazing. Amazing. Yeah, yeah that's
0: right. I forgot about that. Yes. Do you think Vince Russo saw that champion movie and he was like, hey, Sergeant Pepper, maybe I could make a stable out of guys with wacky uh, military titles down the line. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a (laughs) corporal huge erection or whatever the fuck. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, God. Man, that's, there's some season one memories for us. Yeah, season one of the new Blood Rising Pod. Make sure to go back and listen, folks. So we then cut backstage again where Vince and the Stooges are sitting in the back of the police car yelling at the officers who, for some reason, still have not driven them to jail. (laughs) Michael Cole calls attention to the fact that Vince looks very sweaty, apparently forgetting the fact that he had beer dumped all over him 20 minutes ago. Michael Cole, ace reporter. When we come back from break, we then get another vignette for the soon-to-debut Edge. This time out, he looks rather angry for some reason, yelling at random moments, punching a door, and also, in a rather perplexing moment, reaching through the window of a car and choking the driver. I'm going to point out that Edge debuts as a face, so figure that one out. Now, your colleague Martin Dixon, who enjoys these vignettes, mentioned on our last episode he thinks these segments are actually attempting to portray Edge as the WWF's version of Spawn. And I will note that the narrator does say Seeds of Unrest Spawn during her voiceover. So perhaps Martin is on to something there. But uh, anyway, William, what did you think of this uh, this particular Edge teaser? In the
2: alleys of decay, the Seeds of Unrest Spawn. Gremlins yep. of
0: chaos. Gremlins yes.
2: of chaos. Gremlins like, of chaos. I, I don't. I, once again, like Dylan Thomas is just like, oh, just brilliant. This is the greatest... This, this yeah. is the greatest material ever. Oh, oh.
0: So, uh, in the alleys of decay, <sighs> goblins of
2: mischief. I, I mean, like this is like the worst Jim Morrison poetry ever.
0: <laughs> you know, like, it, yeah. and, and, and you're right. Like,
2: this is a face.
0: <laughs> this is this is your face beating up an innocent man who's just presumably trying to drive down the street. No. <laughs> Where are the cops for that one. So maybe maybe Edge can like come out next week and be like, I assaulted an innocent man and got away with it. And then they can take him <laughs> off to jail. Share a cell with Vince. So up next, the Jackal heads to the ring, and he is accompanied by two fixtures of the Howard Stern show, Crackhead Bob and Hank the Angry Drunken Dwarf. Now, a quick background on these two. Crackhead Bob, can't believe I'm actually recapping Crackhead Bob and Hank the Angry Drunken Dwarf. So Crackhead Bob garnered Stern's attention when he was the first person in line for the release of Howard's second autobiography, Miss America. He earned his nickname because during a crack cocaine binge, he suffered a stroke which left him with severely altered cognitive functions and speech patterns. Like Whitney Houston said, kids, crack is whack. Hank the Angry Drunken Dwarf was discovered by Stern's producer Gary Delabate, a.k.a. Baba Booey, one morning in 1996 before the show was scheduled to begin. As you might expect from his name, he was drunk and belligerent, holding a bottle of vodka and wearing a Hawaiian lei. He was immediately put on the show and became popular with Stern's fans. So just three weeks before this episode of Raw aired, People Magazine held an online poll where fans could write in who they thought should be on the cover of their 50 Most Beautiful People issue. Stern's fans engaged in quite a bit of ballot stuffing, and the winner of the contest, with over 230,000 votes, was Hank the Angry Drunken Dwarf. Amusingly, the person who came in second place with a less impressive total of 17,000 votes, and this is actually true, rick Flair... So I guess wrestling fans did a bit of ballot stuffing as well. Uh, Incidentally, people decided to put third-place finisher Leonardo DiCaprio on the cover, in in case you were wondering. So the last time we saw the Jackal was two months prior when he accompanied the undefeated Kurgan to the ring during his match against Chains. In case you have forgotten, the Jackal has the gimmick of a charismatic cult-like leader who is able to manipulate people due to his superior intellect. So what is he doing with two members of the Whack Pack? Well... He tells us that Hank and Bob have put up with enough, and he has apparently come to their rescue. Interestingly, he refers to them as human oddities, so you may want to remember that for 30 seconds from now. Jekyll says that Stern's fans have mocked Hank by giving him the nickname Angry Drunken Dwarf and voting him people's sexiest man, so he turns the mic over to Hank and asks him how he feels about that. Hank then goes on an expletive-laden tirade, which has to get bleeped out several times, so Jackal takes the mic back from him. He then takes the fans to task for gleefully referring to someone as Crackhead Bob, and he turns the mic over to Bob, who says he's mad as hell and not going to take it anymore, although he doesn't actually seem all that mad. Rather happy, actually. So Jackal then introduces us to more members in his, quote, parade of human oddities, Luna Vashon. Golga, a man who wears a mask to hide his physical deformities, and a man who Jackal only refers to as, quote, the largest human being walking the planet, but who we will come to know as Giant Silva. Jackal concludes by saying that the miserable have no hope, but now all of these misfits can look up to him, and they all proceed to hug him. And this segues into our next match, Golga versus Headbanger Thrasher. A quick background on Golga, you may know him better As John Tenta, aka Earthquake, who had a pretty good program with Hulk Hogan in early 90s WWF. From there, he went to WCW, where he was given the name Avalanche and put into the Three Faces of Fear stable alongside Kevin Sullivan and the Zodiac. Once that stable dissolved, he was repackaged as the Shark, partly because the WWF threatened to sue WCW since Avalanche was too similar of a nickname to Earthquake, and the newly named Shark became part of the legendarily terrible Dungeon of Doom faction. As the shark, he would wear a singlet with a shark face on it, paint fangs on the side of his face, and hold up his hand as though it was a shark fin. Somehow, Tenta thought this genius gimmick would last a long, long time, and he was so convinced of this that he changed the tattoo on his arm. Yes, Tenta attended Louisiana State University, whose nickname is the Tigers, and he got a tiger tattoo on his left arm to commemorate his time there. However, because he apparently thought that shark gimmick would never tag Har Har, he had his tiger tattoo changed to a shark tattoo, a process which apparently took 24 hours to perform. Good lord. Shockingly, eventually the shark gimmick ended, and he started wrestling under his real name in WCW, but not before he cut an amusing promo. So
1: That's hold go- on a second. I'm not the shark. I'm not a fish. I'm not an avalanche. I'm a man.
0: Tenta's final televised WCW match was on the October 30th, 1996 episode of WCW Saturday Night, where he lost to Jeff Jarrett. 18 months later, and he is now back in the WWF as Golga, the masked, deformed, human oddity. Retroactively, I'm wondering if he would have preferred the shark. But anyway, tonight he's facing Headbanger Thrasher. I won't get as in-depth on the match, because really, it was pretty slow and plodding. The match ended when Golga picked up Thrasher and hit him with a power slam, which was somehow enough to score the three count. As soon as the match ended, Mosh ran into the ring and jumped Golga from behind, but that proved to be a mistake because Giant Silva then entered the ring and hit Mosh with a headbutt. Referee Tim White then attempted to intervene, so Silva hit him with a headbutt as well. Clearly, they don't really trust Silva to execute many complicated maneuvers at this point in time. Also, I forgot to mention that Jackal and Crackhead Bob did commentary during this match, which led to perhaps one of the most amusing sound bites of Jim Ross's career as he said goodbye to one of the guests.
1: Okay, we'll see you there, Crackhead. All right. Hello, Howard. Okay.
0: So, William, what are your thoughts on the Jackal introducing the world to the Oddities, as well as the Golga Thrasher match? All right. So, I,
2: I I'm not going to retract what I said earlier, but this is probably the one segment where the The momentum really does almost come to a halt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because the crowd does not seem into this at all. Like, no, the, you know, the I, I, I'm really, I, of course, where the oddities go is really actually pretty good. It's a short term thing, but you know, uh, it's much better than this. Like, this would not, right. and, and this doesn't work. The one thing that I enjoyed was seeing John Tento work again, and he yes. looked, he actually looked thinner. Than when he was his earthquake, he looked a little bit more in shape. He got this, mm-hmm. and I think we didn't do, do it in this match, but he breaks out the old earthquake finisher as well, which is pretty cool to see. So um, that part's exciting. The great Khaliva, as he is or whatever, yeah. he's. I mean that. I mean that's just hey, it's a big guy. Why not? I can't wait. Like I mean, I I, I forget how they bring Kurgan into this. I'm sure it'll be coming out soon. But I also thought that this wasn't a bad thing for Luna. This is actually like this. Right. If, if if the stuff around it was obviously better because we know the segments just drizzling shits here, but (laughs) Luna feels like this is a good transition for coming out of the gold dust thing. So that that, there's some pluses here, obviously like the, the Howard Stern stuff is purely just, you know, we're, we're just trying to, this is where our audience is right now at this point in time. This is where we need to, to pull from. And Peter Dinklage, I thought it was Peter Dinklage playing an angry dwarf at first <laughs> when I saw this in hindsight because I was just like, man, that's a hell of an acting job. And I was like, no, he's just legitimately drunk. That's that's the thing, man. Like, yep. and, he, and he nailed. Like, can you imagine today if they gave somebody a mic and they did that? Oh my yeah. god! When he dropped, wouldn't go over well. He dropped those. F, he dropped f bombs on TV, and like, yeah. what was hilarious was Jim Ross. Like, normally. You know you hear like, oh no no we don't we'll just stop that let's we'll go we'll, well you know they'll they'll try and cover for it on the mic. they didn't do anything they just let this thing go
0: and it is just yeah.
2: such a good train wreck here it is yeah. such it's a good
0: thing train. they were they were pre-taped six days in advance at this point yes absolutely but yeah the, the one thing I will say is I do like the concept the way the the gimmick starts where it's just basically like, these are people you have sh- I mean, uh, disregarding the Howard Stern people, it's basically like, here's a human deformity. Here's Luna Vachon. You all think she's ugly and she's hideous. And here's this giant Silva guy, the quote-unquote largest human being walking the planet, who we don't know yet is obviously a completely garbage wrestler who can barely move. But I like the concept of like, you know, these are human oddities. These are people you mock who are now going to get their revenge by beating people up. It just ought to- obviously, you know, they go a completely different direction with the stable ultimately. Yeah. But it would have been cool if they maybe had, you know, different wrestlers who were a bit more able than, say, a giant Silva to actually carry some of that ring load and, and you know, maybe get a sizable push. But, uh, yeah, spoiler alert, that's obviously not – that's not how it tends to, one, tends to one go with this step further
2: habit. with it, Henry. Look at this now. You've now got legitimately three stables, and they're all completely different. And that's yes. the cool thing because – as much crap as Russo gets for the way you know he books or things of that nature for once like because what eventually happens and this happens with singles guys too, like everybody becomes a Steve Austin clone. Everybody to some degree right. is Steve Austin. When the rock hits his stride, He's just Austin with a little bit of tweaking. When Triple H eventually gets there, he's Austin with a little bit of tweaking because everybody hates Mm -hmm. authority. Everybody has to hate the boss and everything. What's neat here with these stables, rather where stables could, could, the cliche will always be to do an NWO stable. That's always your cliche stable to try and do. What's great here is Mm -hmm. DX, the nation, and the oddities now at this point, Three completely different stables, three completely different sets of characters. And I think that's actually really, actually well done in terms of at least a planning and Execution, well, there's a little to be desired, but they're going to write the shit. Yeah. We're going to
0: see that. They're going to write the shit. That's right. As soon as they bring in the insane clown posse, that's, that's fixes when the everything. Fits right fixes, in, obviously. Fixes yeah. everything. <laughs> so we then get another quick shot of Al Snow and Head in the audience, with both of them wearing cowboy hats and bandanas over their faces, Memo to the creators of Westworld, I think someone would be a good fit for season two. We also quickly go backstage where Vince and the Stooges are still sitting in the back of the police car. An irate Vince McMahon looks through the window as Stone Cold proceeds to flip him off multiple times. At this point, I think these cops are just being irresponsible by allowing all of this to take place. But now for some good news. A red carpet covers the aisleway, which means that it's time for Tennessee Lee, my favorite character, to announce the arrival of Jeff Jarrett. As I mentioned earlier, we are in Chattanooga this week, which means it's a homecoming for both Double J and Tennessee Lee. And to celebrate that homecoming, Jarrett gets his usual JJ pyro along with some spinny fireworks as well. I thought it looked pretty damn cool, but then again, I am the only person in the world who is actually marked out for Double J and Tennessee Lee, so take that for what it's worth. Jarrett's opponent tonight will be Vader, and I just want to point out that even though the WWF has spectacularly botched how they've used him, Vader still gets a really nice size pop from the crowd. I've said it several times on this show, but it's true. It is friggin' insane he never won a single title during his entire tenure with the World Wrestling Federation. Vince, what were you thinking? There was a funny little moment at the beginning of the match where Tennessee Lee whacked Vader with his hat, which seemed like an ad lib on Lee's part because Vader just looked at him like, well, what the the fuck was that? What did you just do? And for you WCW fans, you may recall that Tennessee Lee, aka Colonel Robert Parker, actually managed Vader for a time when the Mastodon teamed up with Sid Vicious to form a tandem called the Masters of the Powerbomb, perhaps their most notable match was at Fall Brawl 1993 when they teamed with Harlem Heat for the War Games match against Sting, the British Bulldog, Dustin Rhodes, and the Shockmaster. Yes, the Masters of the Powerbomb were involved in that angle. Personally, I don't know why they didn't all just team up to form the Shockmasters of the Powerbomb, but that's a whole other story. Back to the Vader-Jarrett match. William, did you also find it interesting to hear Jim Ross openly say on commentary that Vader was out of shape Tell you
1: what, Vader is in great shape. He never looked better with a big elbow down to the lower midsection. Make a difference about uh, Vader's condition. He does not look to be in uh, in tip-top condition to me.
2: Oh, yeah, man. Major shade thrown on Vader's physical appearance. And I think, like, I'd have to go back and look, like, around that no way out period and see if they were kind of doing, they were dogging him the same way. I think, Va- like, Vader never got off on the right foot in WWF. And I think a lot of it's because he came in injured. When he came in injured, it delayed mm-hmm. him getting out, out of the blocks, really. And of course, you know what happened with Sean is what happened. And I mean, like with a, oh god, you know, with other guys, you know, I, I I'm not sure how well received Vader was behind the scenes. I mean, Vader works a certain kind of way, and the thing is, like,
0: unless He's very snug, yeah.
2: I mean, like, unless you're you're willing to take that, you know, uh, you know, you're not gonna have a good time working with him. And All right. I I'm not sure if like part of that is sort of you know jim ross throwing that out there like you know they i don't know where he was in terms of uh you know being in good with the company at this point not positive because you're gonna get the sound clip of the century with over the edge it's the greatest
0: oh yes the greatest,
2: oh i'm the greatest of all time
0: you know what i mean i already have it uh <laughs> queued up for next week
2: <laughs> in the amazing mask versus mask match that we're getting so i oh, i like how God. this is like I guess this is Vader's kind of like warm-up match or his tune-up match for the pay-per-view. That's, this is how you get warmed up for Kane. You go mess with, you know, pre-mayhem Jeff Jarrett here. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know. I, I knew immediately when this was kind of like, well, Jarrett's not going to last too long with this sort of thing because as we see old Kane lumbering to the ring. <laughs> yeah. That's still fun to see as Kane
0: trying to haul ass. Yes. <laughs> and actually, on that note of the mask versus mask match another way that you know not to really take this seriously is because we we were basically told by the announcers, oh, there's going to be a mask versus mask match. It was never there was never an angle shown on camera where it's like Vader challenging Kane to be like, oh, yeah, you're confident you can beat me? Put your mask on the line or something, you know? We'll show off your deformed face once you take the mask off or blah, something like that. It's just like, no, we're eventually told during one match like as a throwaway thing, like, oh, yeah, it's going to be mask versus mask. So obviously, you know that they're not going to, you know, take Kane's mask off this soon, but just kind of silly. But anyway, as for the match itself, so Vader controlled most of it, as you might expect, and went for several pinfalls on Double J, but each time, Tennessee Lee would jump up on the ring apron to distract the referee. Eventually, Vader hit a second rope splash onto Jarrett, but then, as you said, Kane ran into the ring and clotheslined Vader from behind, resulting in a disqualification. Impressively, Kane managed to slam Vader, then he clotheslined him over the top rope to the arena floor, where he then whipped Vader face first into the ring steps. He was going to inflict more damage, but instead his father, Paul Bearer, grabbed him by the hair to pull him away. So William, what were your overall thoughts on the vader Jarrett match and uh, also the subsequent Kane run-in if you want to add something else to that as well? Um,
2: the the match didn't do Vader any favors. and mm-hmm. neither made him look good nor dominant going into Sunday. I think Kane get, coming down and destroying Vader seemed to be like... I, I, the sad thing is like and i think this is where they're kind of booked into a corner because it was like we can't have vader look tougher than the undertaker we have to keep a hierarchy here of who kane is uh who who can wear down kane who can legitimately beat kane and who is going to who's just going to get basically squashed by him and unfortunately like you know i i mean in your if you're doing classic 101 wrestling booking here vader would it would be inverted vader would be the one destroying kane at the end of this leading into right. the pay-per-view, which, of course, signifies that Kane is probably going to be the one who wins. The sad thing here is I think the moment The Undertaker jumped over the top rope with the fire and everything and clotheslined both of them, that was the that yeah. was the end of this. Like, that felt like the end of this. And yeah, it, that's a fair point. It just never... When Vader came back in the first place to get revenge on this, I don't think anybody cared. I don't think they... I agree. Um, this wasn't... The, there wasn't like there was any real heat. It felt like, from the crowd, like, oh, we really want to see Vader get his vengeance. Because what we were really wanting to see was Kane versus The Undertaker anyway. So Exactly. It's yep. just, it was just a filler thing anyway. So I'm going to go kind of, this is kind of, I'd say, par for the course, nothing spectacular, nothing overly terrible here. It does once again show, though, like, for people who watch Kane now build from,
0: what part of Tennessee is Kane built from now? I believe he's from Knoxville. Knox. So this is also this is also a homecoming for Kane apparently since they're in Chattanooga tonight. Right.
2: So, you know, when you see him nowadays and it's it's kind of a a shell of the man that he once was. When you go back and watch it, so you just see how dominant he was. Like it, it really got to a point where it's like, man, the Undertaker could barely get by this guy. Who really is going to get the best of of Kane and right. everything. So that part is still impressive to see in everything. So that's about the most you can take away from this.
0: Yeah. The one thing I also wondered, which is just kind of a side note. So at No Way Out, basically, uh, so Vader lost to Kane at No Way Out, and after the match, Kane smashed him in the face with a wrench. So that was in February, and Kane, or excuse me, Vader didn't return until Unforgiven in the Inferno match, which was in April. So literally, they kept Vader off of WrestleMania. He, so he missed a WrestleMania payday because they were doing this injury angle. So I was wondering, like, maybe at the time did he piss somebody off where they were just like, nope, keep keep him off WrestleMania? Or maybe it was a thing with the weight because we're seeing JR, oh, yeah. you know, harp on that. Yeah. But literally, they, they keep him off WrestleMania for this angle. That was basically not even an angle. You know, they're coming back now to pay it off at Over well, the Edge. It, it, but, it, like, they, they took him off, like, the basically what would have been the biggest payday of the year. You, you,
2: remember, you remember it. They, they did it. They shot a segment on Raw where it's Vader at home, which is always awesome, a wrestler yeah. at home. Anytime we get to see a wrestler at home, it's, it's going to be greatness. And then this one is him all bandaged up, taking the glasses off, and, you know, just being a big sad sack of shit. And yeah, and and like usually when you do something like that, it harkens back to Ahmed Johnson and Farouk, you know. Like when you do that, that means we're you know you're you're really setting up for this thing to be, a, you know, a special return, a big return segment, and everything. It's just yep. the problem is like nobody likes Vader more than the Undertaker, so you know it almost feels wasted. Like it almost feels like we we should have gotten Undertaker versus Kane three. At Over the Edge. Granted, like, what would you do? I don't know. In the end, though, even though um, I'm saying that now, like, oh, that might have been the better solution... It actually it does work out for the best for the Undertaker and probably for Kane because it's good to kind of give them a break from each other. But it's just tough. I think this was a real rock and hard place scenario for them because it's like we want to get Kane on the pay per view because obviously we're grooming him to be our next big heel champion at some point. But the problem is, well, who are we gonna have him go up against? He can't squash anybody else. That's you know like a Flash Funk or anything like that. Well, we'll just yeah. let's let's bring Leon back. You know, just give bring him bring yeah. back Leon and we'll we'll go from there. I guess.
0: Yeah, and and tune in next week to see that amazing soundbite and see where it goes from there. So, So we then go backstage again where Vince and the Stooges have been removed from the police car. Stone Cold says he will drop the charges if Vince apologizes to him, which he does by saying, I apologize to the former WWF champion. Austin says he won't accept that apology, and he tells Vince to try again, but nicer this time. Vince somberly says, I apologize, and Austin accepts this time. Stone Cold walks off, and the cops uncuff Vince, but we then see a very angry look on his face. For me, the bigger story here is that this is the second week in a row they were in Tennessee, and it's the second week in a row that someone was able to avoid going to jail just by apologizing. So I guess maybe that's some, some rule in Tennessee I was unaware of. Just apologize. You don't have to go to jail.
2: I accept his apology. He's a good kid. I love that line. Yeah, he like <laughs> scruff, he scruffs his hair a little bit. The look on his face that you mentioned is awesome. It is so good. And I was, I'm being serious. Like, to see him kind of put his head down, and then when it comes back up, like, Mr. McMahon has returned. That's really right. well done. That's good non, non-verbal acting right there. It's fantastic.
0: Agreed. And that's how we end the first hour. We then kick into the credits for The War Zone, with J.R. and Jerry Lawler completely talking over the credits, which was kind of weird. We now see that Vince McMahon, Pat Patterson, and Gerald Briscoe are walking to the ring. Vince grabs a mic and says he did not mean the apology he just gave, and then he informs us that Austin also placed another condition on Vince's release from police custody. This Sunday at Over the Edge, Austin wants someone to be able to stand guard at ringside to ensure that Vince will call the match fairly when he acts as the special guest referee. Vince says he has no problem with this because no wrestler on the roster can intimidate him and prevent him from doing what needs to be done on Sunday. And not only will Austin's fun end at Over the Edge, but it's also going to end tonight because Stone Cold will be competing tonight on Raw against The Undertaker. Vince gives a look of smug satisfaction, and the three of them leave the ring. But, wow, that is quite a blockbuster. William, what did you think of Vince announcing Austin vs. Undertaker on free TV? Well, he did say
2: there was one exception. So there is
0: one thing that can intimidate Vince McMahon. Do you remember what it was, Henry? I don't remember what he with said. The ex-
2: with the exception of Godzilla.
0: <laughs> oh, that's right. Because, again, once again, a very timely moment. Godzilla had just come out in theaters. The Matthew Broderick version. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah. And and
2: once again, though, the crowd, when they hear Austin versus Undertaker, like, you're like, seriously, on Raw, we're going to, at this point, we're going to get Austin and the Undertaker, who the last time they really tangled was at that, uh, oh, God, it's escaped me. It's the In Your House pay per view after Mania, uh, Mania uh, the year before, where Austin.
0: Oh, okay. Was it cold
2: day in hell? It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which. Austin was, that's coming off of his match with Brett you know, greatest match yeah. in WWE I mean, I mean, of history to some. And I mean, just to, to now, like you're a year later and you're going to get this on raw after all what we've already seen. Like if I bought a ticket, like this is, I've gotten so much worth out of this already. Like this is absolutely. And it's, and it's great because you know, what's, It's, it's, now we get the turn in this. Now Vince is getting, now he thinks he's got the one up on Austin. So that's what makes the story of this even better is now maybe he's got the upper hand. Maybe he is going to end up getting, you know, his in the end. Vince is going to win
0: this. We'll see what happens. Indeed. Yeah. Austin versus Undertaker on Raw. It seems almost too good to be true. I guess we'll see how that plays out. So we then get pre-taped footage of D-Generation X on location at, quote, a clandestine airport somewhere in North America. Triple H tells them that the mission they are about to embark on is too dangerous for all of them, and only one man can do it himself. Hunter claims he has gone to flight school, so he is now well-equipped to fly an airplane for whatever his mission may be. He then walks over to what is apparently the wrong plane, because his DX pals have to tell him to go to a different one. What is Triple H's aerial endeavor? Stay tuned to find out. Back in the arena, we see Al Snow and Head hop over the guardrail, still dressed in cowboy hats and bandanas. Al gets into Lawler's face and asks where Vince McMahon is, so apparently he somehow missed the fact that Vince was literally standing in the ring no more than ten minutes ago? The King claims that he got Al a meeting with Vince last week, referring to the fact that Snow was unknowingly sitting next to Vince in the front row when the boss was posing as a fan and wearing a Steve Austin mask. Security then escorts Al away from the premises, as Lawler tells him he held up his end of the bargain by facilitating a meeting between him and Vince William, your thoughts on Al Snow once again invading the WWF? Well, it's funny because we
2: were just talking about this on November to remember, like, when it's... it's they completely booked al snow to be the biggest star of the show with everyone having the styrofoam heads and and yeah. and and the in the camera work the editing like they really tried to sell like the insanity the, the schizophrenic nature of this al snow the multiple personalities or whatever he's got going on like they really tried a lot of ways to sell this so it's fascinating now that we're finally seeing almost like an ecw guy invading wwf because quite honestly like whatever failed like you know and i say failed because like it it doesn't seem like it really goes anywhere for ecw they keep doing this wwf or ccw thing with where we're at this is only about like six seven months before where we're at here but it's nice now we kind of have him coming in and out and i'll be honest at the time i didn't know who he was um so i didn't have much reaction then now with it it's fascinating because not knowing where obviously al snow goes and everything like this guy's very volatile, like, you know, it's it's hard to kind of, it's it's hard to figure out where this guy's going to, uh, you know, mix in with things. So I, I think the Al Snow stuff, it's funny, it's interesting. At the time, you know, I, you know, I was just kind of trying to figure out where this guy's going to fit in. So that was pretty good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the interesting aspects is the fact that they're still playing it up as though he's invading from ECW. They're, they're literally acknowledging the fact that, like, oh, Al Snow from ECW, Although, obviously, at this point, I'm sure he's, you know, under WWE contract, WWF contract. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, also the interesting thing, too, is that the WWF is using his exact gimmick from ECW, a promotion which is, what, like one-tenth the size of WWF. I feel like typically when guys come in from another company, they they don't really acknowledge, you know, what their previous gimmick was or something to that extent. Because, you know, I mean, John Tent is just coming in as Golga, a completely new gimmick. He's not the shark, you know, he's not coming over from WCW as the shark. But Al Snow is coming over to the WWF with the exact same gimmick he has in ECW where he has head and he's schizophrenic and he writes help me on his forehead So I just thought that was kind of interesting that they're doing bit for bit the exact same gimmick as he did in ECW. So pretty interesting that instead of just being like, oh, we're going to bring you back and I I don't know if I can make him leave Cassidy again. I don't know. They actually just bring him in with, you know, the actual existing gimmick he had in ECW. So that's pretty cool. And our next match is WWF light heavyweight champion Taka Michinoku versus Dick Togo, who is accompanied by Yamaguchi-san togo wore jean shorts for this match so in case you were wondering who was the inspiration for john cena now you know this was a short but fast-paced match that i really enjoyed lots of high-risk maneuvers by both men including a springboard crossbody from the turnbuckle to the outside by taka and an effortlessly easy moonsault from the second rope by togo the match ended when togo went for what i believe was a pop-up powerbomb attempt now we know who the inspiration (laughs) for kevin owens was Butaka reversed it into a hurricane rana and pinned Togo for the clean three count after the match Yamaguchi san attempted to sneak up on Taka but Taka turned around in time and grabbed him by the tie however he stalled a little bit too long which enabled Funaki and Teo to run into the ring and beat down Taka culminating with a fisherman buster by Funaki and a santon bomb by Togo Tai and Yamaguchi san then ran off through the crowd as we were told that Bradshaw was not in the arena tonight to help out Taka. So, William, what were your thoughts on the Taka-Togo match and the subsequent Kai and Tai attack?
2: Great chemistry between these two guys. We uh, we saw them at Barely Legal. Tank, tank, yeah, that's was, right. I forgot. It was really cool to see them working on the same side in that match, but the chemistry together is fantastic. I think this match was placed perfectly because it's a good pick-me-up for the crowd because, yep. you know, even, even with the Vince segment, like, you know, when you kind of look at what we had before that, it's like ah, it's like kind of it. It feels like we're kind of running. It's it's borderline tepid now is where we're head with the the momentum and that connection with the crowd. This really gets things going again, and it's great because the WWF at this point is definitely not known for its light heavyweight slash cruiserweight division by any means, but. The one thing you can say about it is, like, every once in a while, like, they could really get the crowd popping. And it's really, you know, it's Takamichinoku Chinook who doesn't get enough credit for his WWF run. You know, um, I, I think the, working with Bradshaw was good because it helped it helped him develop more personality and things of that nature. But I loved him working with Kayantai. I always thought these matches were really good. They were they really were short. They were fun. That's really about all I can say about him. You know, I think this, it's fun to see where this angle is going with him and with Kayantai and everything. So it's good progression.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I had actually kind of forgotten that Taka was the light heavyweight champion because it's been they basically haven't even been doing any light heavyweight championship matches lately, and sometimes he doesn't even bring the belt right. with him. And I don't even think the belt was on the line for this one, but I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. He actually has a belt. I totally forgot about oh, that. Yeah. So that was a nice little reminder. So we then cut to more pre-taped footage of DX back at the airport Triple H has apparently gone off on his mission, so they argue amongst themselves over who gets to be the leader of DX if he doesn't return. Nothing too special here, but the highlight would probably be Road Dog referring to Billy Gunn as Rockabilly, which appears to piss off Mr. Ass. And I can understand why, last week on this very show, your New Blood Rising podcast co-host Martin Dixon referred to Rockabilly as, and I quote, "...the worst gimmick in the history of gimmicks ever." So clearly, not not a high point for Billy exactly. Yeah,
2: Martin got that one pegged. He just kind of gave him the the Vigo from uh, Eastern Promises. He was like, "Nah, man, I, I'm not tolerating that rockabilly shit." I mean, <laughs> Martin's got beef with that.
0: That's more great. Great movie, by yeah. the way. Great oh, movie. Yeah. If you ever want to see a Vigo Mortensen in a naked sauna fight, Eastern Promises. Get to see Legolas' dick for for a you little imagine while. Imagine if Dong Rio was no, doing it. No, excuse me. You know, if we had if we okay.
2: Dong Rio doing it, we'd have we'd, we'd have to have an uncensored version. <laughs>
0: yeah. And just to back up, I said Legolas. I meant Aragorns. So I don't want to get the I don't want to get the Lord of the Rings fans mad at me. The, um, yeah, I know. I probably already have a few tweets. Even though the podcast, technically, as we're recording this right now, is not live, but somehow I have six tweets from Lord <laughs> of the Rings fans. Our next match is Farouk versus Mark Merrow, who is accompanied by Sable because she has apparently signed the only unbreakable managerial contract in wrestling history. William, did you enjoy the graphic that appeared on the screen during Farouk's entrance, which said that you could access WWF backstage at Over the Edge this Sunday by using AOL keyword WWF? Awesome, cause I used to, I used to, I had AOL, so
2: that was that was how I accessed WWF. A lot was going to their their AOL page, so that was Me that was a nice throwback. And along with the you know eight billion hours of free hours of AOL that I I have somewhere still stacked up, all these disks of of free hours yeah. and stuff. Of, yeah oh yeah i remember it's just like oh i gotta get the latest
0: wave file of someone's entrance theme yeah that's that's cool (laughs) it's only gonna take me six hours to download right oh shit oh my brother picked up the phone so i got knocked offline so oh great all right (laughs) gotta dial back up damn it i missed out
2: my flash funk theme i need to go back and get it (laughs)
0: yeah (laughs) oh i can't get online because it's raining (laughs) first world problems (laughs) (laughs) right exactly and you got charged hourly, too. That, was, that pissed oh, me yeah. Anyway, But oh, you get yeah. the idea. So this was a pretty blah match, which featured Mero utilizing the classic heel maneuver of throwing his valet into harm's way so he could save himself. And he did it twice. Uh, if I didn't know any better, I'd say Mero was a bad guy. I'm just putting that out there.
2: <laughs> I mean, let's, let's let's face it, Henry. This is just a repeat of the Terry Funk match. It's the same exact match that you had yep, last from last week. week. It's the yep. same thing.
0: And toward the end of the match, Mero hit Farouk with a DDT, the exact same thing he did to Terry Funk (laughs) last last week, which caused Sable to get up on the ring apron to yell at him. As soon as Mero turned back around, Farouk hit him with a clothesline, and that was somehow enough to get the three count. I mean, really, a clothesline and not even one from hell? I guess that shows you where Mero is in the pecking order right now. So after the match, Mero grabs a microphone and issues a challenge to Sable. At Over the Edge, she can pick any wrestler she wants to have a match one-on-one with Mero. And if her wrestler wins without Sable interfering in the match, Mero will tear up Sable's contract. However, if Mero wins, Sable will have to leave the WWF forever. Needless to say... Sable accepts the challenge. William, your thoughts on the match and the Sable-Mero angle. Well, it's
2: good. Like, now, like, we're, all right, because we've had this now for more than a few weeks, ever since Mania. Like, you would have thought WrestleMania, like, was was, was going to be, you know, w- was going to be... The blow-up. Yeah. But it wasn't, because still somehow Mark Merrow was kind of facing the match
0: in a way. It was weird. Right. Against Goldust and Luna. Yeah. yeah. So...
2: I think, you know, I mean, we'll, you know, we're ahead from here. But, you know, uh, at the time, it was like, okay, cool. So can't wait to see who she's going to pick. Maybe she'll find that Al Snow fellow or something like that to, uh, <laughs> to to take up for. Maybe she'll find Edge in the dumpster or something like that. And he'll, he'll come out and play or something like that. So, you know, man, I mean, it's, uh, it's at least you have this at the end. It's like, okay, we're getting progression. And, you know, if you needed one more reason to we'll see this pay-per-view, like, If the main event, I I don't understand how you couldn't buy this pay-per-view based on the main event alone, but, you know, if you want to add a little bit of extra sprinkle to it, here you go. Not
0: bad. Not bad. There you go. And actually, that would make sense, sense, I should say, if Edge would debut at Over the Edge. It's perfect. It writes itself. Yeah, but, spoiler, that doesn't happen. And actually, to be honest with you, I don't actually know. uh, I haven't started doing the uh, additional research for the Over the Edge pay-per-view yet, so I actually don't know who Sable chooses as... Her mystery person. So I hope I hope it's somebody. Oh, good. it's
2: there's a bit of a twist there, uh, Henry. So get ready. There's a bit of oh, I'm, a bit I'm of a twist.
0: Looking forward to it. So we then cut to a vignette about the career of Pat Patterson, which is narrated by Vince McMahon himself. I had to get a chuckle because Vince's first line is: "For almost 20 years, Pat Patterson has been a model WWF citizen." For sure, a model citizen. Except, of course, for that 1992 lawsuit where he was sued by a former ring boy who claimed Patterson sexually harassed him. But other than that, yes, a model citizen, for sure. Other than that. And then we get the final DX vignette of the evening. We see a plane flying through the air with a voiceover by Triple H all the while. He tells us he's flying over the arena where WCW is holding Nitro. And sure enough, they do indeed show a shot of Roberts Municipal Stadium in Evansville, Indiana, which is where Nitro legitimately was being held that night. We get some very fake-looking skywriting, which says, Hey WCW, suck it, DX rules. And another which says, DX army, bombs WCW. And then one more, which says, Triple H versus The Rock, tonight on Raw, because Hunter has always been a good company guy. And then, in a rather morbid ending, we see footage of a bomb being dropped on a building. So yes, that's right, folks. Triple H has accomplished his mission of murdering 10,000 innocent people yay? Yeah, fuck it, man. So, (laughs) yeah. Pedigree. So, yeah, William, what did, (laughs) yeah. So, what did you think of Triple H's mission of turning a nitro taping into a scene reminiscent of present day series? It's
2: the lines in the cockpit. I'm hunched over in the cockpit with my.
0: Yeah, I'm in the cockpit.
2: (laughs) I've got my hand on my joystick. You know, that stuff is, it's, it was hilarious for the time, man. All this stuff is gold. Like, it's, you know, it's cheesy and it, the, the, it looks fake and it's got like the weird bomb drop at the end or whatever. But it was, like, their ascension in terms of, like, being, like, in popularity. If DX wasn't super popular before and it was when it was just the three of them, now, like, you're seeing them kind of finding this nice little spot right underneath where Steve Austin is. And it's great. Like, all, yep. all this stuff is great. And the fact that we're getting... I mean, look at this. Look at this card. You have Austin versus Undertaker, presumably be our uh, our main event, and then we're getting mm-hmm. you know these guys just on the cusp of being like who they're who they're going to evolve into being great all time great wrestlers. The Rock and Triple H. It's awesome. Yeah. It's
0: fantastic. And we get actually quite a bit of time with them as well. It's not just a, you know a tossed off match, I should say, where you're getting, you know, like two minutes. They get about 11 minutes on this show, uh, which I'll get into in in just a moment. But yeah, it also kind of, I thought actually at the time, a strange decision to do Hunter versus The Rock, since they're both the leaders of their factions. But but actually, let's just get into it right now. So, basically, once uh, we end the Triple H bombing the arena segment we go back into the arena for the match that Hunter just hyped via skywriting WWF European champion Triple H versus WWF Intercontinental champion The Rock in a match where neither of those titles was on the line. So Hunter is accompanied by China, and Rock is accompanied by Mark Henry but the rest of their stablemates remain back in the locker room also again as a side note holy shit we're actually getting a lengthy Rock Triple H match on, tr- on free TV. Pretty awesome. So early on in the match, Hunter threw Rock to the floor, where China nailed him with a forearm behind the referee's back. This then caused Mark Henry to walk over and get in China's face, which I found amusing because, spoiler alert, those two will end up having a storyline with each other down the road. Stay tuned for that. Shortly thereafter, Henry tossed the Intercontinental title to The Rock while the ref's back was turned, which allowed Rock to smack Hunter in the face with it. He then went to pin Triple H, but China pulled Rock off of him before the ref could count to three. After a commercial break, we get even more shenanigans behind the ref's back, as this time, China grabbed the European Championship and leveled Rock in the face with it. Triple H covered him, but Rock just barely got his shoulder up before the three count. Just a few minutes later, we got, you guessed it, more interference behind the ref's back, as Mark Henry put the boost to Triple H outside the ring, but China then snuck up on the world's strongest man and leveled him with a chair. Henry then chased after China, which allowed Hunter to sneak up on him and shove him into the ring post. Rock then went outside to continue the fight, but that proved to be a mistake, as the referee then counted both men out in what seemed like an incredibly fast 10 count. Triple H went back into the ring and asked Rock to join him, but instead the people's champs started walking backwards up the ramp. Of course, this also turned out to be a mistake, because when Rock turned around, his over-the-edge opponent Farouk was right there waiting for him. Farouk proceeded to pick up Rock, and hit him with a pile driver right at the top of the steel ramp, which seems dangerous as fuck. William, what were your thoughts on the Rock versus Triple H and that pile driver that Rocky ends up taking? First thing, Rock,
2: Rock's promo is it's you can see like he's starting to he's starting to really find himself in his promos. Even yeah, I
0: forgot to mention the promo. He yeah. does the Viagra
2: bit. It's very short, but it's it's yeah again the Viagra. It, yeah, it's a good line. It's a good line. The Rock wants a comment on Viagra. Well, The Rock doesn't use it, so he has no comment. <laughs> Perfect. Right. <laughs> but I do think it's ironic that The Rock calls out DX for having an obsession with their dicks, because pretty much every Rock promo, when he kept from 2011 on, has to do with some type of penis thing. It, it, that's yeah. what's hilarious. Like how it comes full circle for him. I love when China gets in the face of Mark Henry because it looked like. I like China in this era particularly because she looks legitimately really tough, like really tough. Yeah. The way she goes toe to toe with Mark Henry, who at this point still is like you know, like he he's I'm I'm not gonna say he's like a something to be feared necessarily. It's still a big fucking dude. Sure, and you see China go toe to toe with him and doesn't give a fuck about him. That's awesome. That's a really cool moment considering like how you know unfortunately women get treated in this era, and it's only gonna get worse. But Mm -hmm. still, I don't mind that there's the interference. I don't mind that matching a double count-up because this is going to lead to the match of the year. The blow-off of this is going to be match of the year. This is going to be the feud of the summer, really. Even, like, or the sub-feud of the summer because obviously Austin McMahon is the feud of the year, no doubt about it, but this is going to lead to a very compelling feud between two guys, two factions, belt swapping, all kinds of things. And moment like the the thing was like Farouk getting the pile driver. It it the, oh, you're you're totally right because it's a spike pile driver that that he hits him with. The thing about it is like as devastating as the move was, like Farouk feels like such an afterthought, such an afterthought That's true. in this. That is true. I feel like the over the edge. I should be getting Rock versus Triple H again, or something with Rock DX and Nation, or something like that. A little bit more. I think you still do. I think you still do get another. uh, I think you get like a Nation versus DX match still. But it's this is a this is a great Kickstarter to where we're going to go throughout the summer. This is impressive. Like this is what's great. Like this is this is a rock solid middle of the card feud that you've got now. So. You've got at least one to two, you've got two solid main event
0: feuds, you have this going underneath it. They've got their stuff together, is what this shows really- Oh yeah, big time. And now, on that note, it's time for our main event. However, before the participants can be introduced, ring announcer Tony Chimmel tells us there will be a special guest referee for this match, Vince McMahon. Sure enough, Vince emerges from backstage wearing a black and white striped shirt, so it appears that he's trying to get some practice for when he referees the main event this Sunday. The Undertaker enters first, but before Stone Cold Steve Austin comes out, Taker walks right up to Vince and gets in his face. Vince attempts to walk away, but instead, The Undertaker grabs him by the throat and delivers a chokeslam. He then picks Vince up to give him a tombstone as well, but before he can do so, Kane runs into the ring. So does that mean he was corporate Kane way back in 1998, too? Just save the boss. The Brothers of Destruction proceed to brawl with each other, not just in the ring, but also right through the crowd. Meanwhile, Patterson and Briscoe tend to the wounded Vince in the ring, but then, stone-cold Steve Austin's music hits. He comes to the ring and immediately hits the two stooges with stunners. Instead of stunning Vince, however, he ties him in the ring ropes, then heads outside the ring to grab a steel chair. Austin prepares to whack Vince with it, but Dude Love runs into the ring with his own chair. Austin sees him coming, however, and smacks Dude's chair into his own face, which looked pretty goddamn sick, and Foley falls to the mat. During that distraction, Patterson was able to untie Vince from the ring ropes and pull him to safety, preventing the boss from being bludgeoned. We then go off the air, with Austin flipping off Vince, Dude, and the Stooges as JR wonders what will happen this Sunday. At over the edge so William what were your thoughts on this main event simply? okay so
2: we didn't end up getting Austin versus Taker but it's okay no. it's okay though because again like that's going to be the few, that's going to be our main event of the summer so we don't want to really do we can't we're not going to do too much work for that here that's going to be next month with King of the Ring so what's what's really great here a is um Undertaker coming out. And, well, first of all, Vince coming out imposing. Like you know, you notice how he's posing in his uh his referee shirt. Yeah. He keeps looking at somebody in the crowd, like, "Oh yeah, you see that? Yeah, pal. Look at that. Hey. Yeah." But to see Undertaker, because then it's like, "Ooh, what is?" It? And the thing is, they they don't do a good job of selling it. Like you would think this is where Jim Ross would go, "Is he the guy who's going to stand up to Vince?" Like to kind of plant the seed, like. We're going to see Tate right. or whatever. I mean, spoiler alert, that's who's going to be coming out to, to be the, I guess, the enforcer. We need another enforcer for every match now that Austin's in. Is we need a guest enforcer, yeah. Mike Undertaker, Mike Tyson Undertaker, uh, ended up <laughs> doing his gig. And But what's great is, like, I love that Kane then comes out. Because then it's like, okay, that feud still isn't over. He's got that cry, he's got that thing with Vader, but we know that's where that's going to go. We, we, There's no way anyone really believed Kane was going to lose and take his mask off. But it's cool to see him and Undertaker still feuding. This is where, like, it, I don't know if this is Vince Russo who's, who's to credit this, or if it's Vince McMahon. This is really nice weaving of your two top main event feuds right now. Absolutely, and I just love that you know. Right when like everything seems, at, at, of course, this is when Steve Austin's going to come out, and it's just like immediate. Like as he said, like kicking the gut stunner, right back up, kicking the gut stunner again. Boom. Both those guys, the way they sold stunners, amazing. Like the best, the best sellers of the stunner were Briscoe and Patterson because I don't know if they understood yeah. how to take it. did not matter the fact that they would like crumple in heap. Speaking of crumpling in a heap, the dude love chair shot. Like I know the. You nailed oh. it when you uh, weeks ago talked about the Shamrock one from The Rock. That Oh, my God. That's sickening. This is right up there because Dude Love just crumples into, like, the just yeah. he's done. What's really bad is I think there's at least eight replays that we see of this. I and know, just, right? It, and that sound over and over. And I couldn't remember. I thought this is where he lost his teeth, but that must have been another chair shot he took because there's some moment where he loses those teeth that he gets as corporate Dude Love. Oh,
0: wow. That, that might very well. I'm not out. sure.
2: I, you can see them flying whenever it happens. I didn't see them there necessarily, but eh, whatever. Overall, like I think I was in, we joked about on the last show when Steve Austin wrestled the rocket, um, the in your house, Degeneration X, and no, 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 was it DX? I, I think it was.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. The one in uh,
2: December of yeah. '97. Right? So like when he comes out with the truck, he never takes the vest off when he wrestles The Rock, and once again Steve Austin's like, hey taking the vest off, I ain't gonna do it. And uh <laughs> I, you know, it's it 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 does it look is it maybe a phoned in thing? Whatever. The crowd loves this, even though they don't get the match that you know it was obviously they were kind of salivating for. Probably this right. is just awesome, like. This caps off what we, like, look at the bookends. Look at this bookending that first promo. Absolutely. I mean, that right there is, that is genius in putting a show together right there. Because, man, those people left. They must have left so excited. Especially after last week when these guys are putting the boots to Austin. You know, like... Finally, Austin is uh has gotten some vengeance, you know, on Vince McMahon. But the cool thing was, this is once again like this is just the one more little chestnut to add onto the top here. Austin didn't get physical vengeance on Vince McMahon. He never, he, right? He didn't do anything physical to to Vince McMahon. Like he didn't stun him. He did kind of stomp his head in or stomp somebody's head in when they were getting arrested. I forget who it was. It's hilarious. Like, he just like one more one more way Austin's kind of taking advantage of the very lax. Judicious system of uh, of Tennessee, <laughs> but still, like, yeah, this this is fantastic, man. Like, this is as good this is as good an ending raw segment like, coming off of an opening segment as you're gonna get. And it really, like, this isn't just a go home show. I think this is the kickoff of the summer here. This show kicks off where we're gonna like uh, where we're gonna see a lot of these feuds go. Like, even dude, love after this point, Mick Foley's gonna hang around big time. He's gonna have a pretty big moment coming up for you very very soon. Oh, boy, yeah. That's the next pay-per-view. So (laughs) just when you take pause here and you just look at this, this is why I say you're in the sweet spot, Henry, because look at who you've got at the top. You've got Steve Austin working. uh, He's working Cactus Jack, Dude Love, Mick Foley, basically. You have Undertaker and Kane working the other feud. Underneath that, again, we've got these guys who are burgeoning stars. They will be stars before we know it. One of them will be world champion Mm -hmm. before the year's over with, with The Rock and Triple H. And then... We've just debuted Val Venus. Everybody loves this guy. They are eating yeah. this up. So it's like, between that and, you know, what's going on, like some of the other members of the nation, like D-Lo Brown that's going to be popping up, X-Pac. I mean, look at this roster. Like, this roster, although, like, it's one-eighth of where WCW was at this point, it's significant in terms of their output and their quality. I mean, it, it, it makes me excited just to see what the next episode of Raw is going to be. I vaguely remember because I think it's in Chicago... I'm not sure, but I uh, the, you'll come across it, you know, very, very soon. But I, I think this raw is I, I I would put it up against other ones in terms like it may not this raw may not stand up to other raws in terms of match versus match, you know, or segment versus segment necessarily. But damn it, the opening and the closing segments, and even Vince in the middle trying to like get his one up back. I think those segments stack up beautifully against many other shows many of the better shows of the, of the Attitude Era.
0: Excellent. I, and I would agree with that as well. And, uh, and we'll delve a little bit further in just a moment. But before we wrap up, well, we have to go to the wrap-up.
1: Yo, I slayed MCs back in the rec room era My style broke
2: motherfucking backs like him for terror
1: I freak beat, slam it like Iron Chic. We dedicated the cast that's been thugging Vinny Paz got more hoes than Jim Duggan I'm uh, bananas, out of my fucking mind, they won't let me back in Cause yeah. I was down before the heights like Dusty Rhodes and Bob Backlund Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak Now the rockin' Stone Cold on my favorite maniacs yeah, The top rooster to pluckin', chickens
0: when it's are With The WWF stands for Women where we Fuckin'. The Ratings Recap So last week, Raw crushed Nitro in the ratings, 5.3 to 2.5, due to the fact that WCW was only given one hour of TV time because the TNT Network was airing an NBA playoff game instead. This week, Nitro was back to its regular time slot, so how did they fare against the resurgent WWF? Well, for the second time in the past three weeks... The ratings ended in a tie. Yes, that's right. Raw and Nitro each scored a 4.2 rating on this night. On this night, I should say. So, for comparison's sake, William, here is what you could have been watching on Nitro before Triple H bombed the building and killed everyone <laughs> inside. Fit Finley defeated Mike Enos to retain his World Television title. Perry Saturn defeated Glacier. Chris Jericho defeated L. Dandy. Conan defeated La Parka. Juventude Guerrero defeated Kidman Chavo Guerrero defeated Ultimo Dragon Dean Malenko defeated Lenny Lane to retain his cruiserweight championship Goldberg defeated Johnny Attitude to retain his United States championship Spoiler alert, Johnny Attitude sadly never joins the WWF during the Attitude Era Chris Benoit defeated Booker T in the first match of their best of seven series for a shot at the WCW World Television Championship. Another spoiler alert, their best of seven series ends in a tie, and then they form a tag team. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. No one, no one would book an angle that stupid. And in the main event, Lex Luger and Sting defeated the team of NWO Sting and the Giant. Yes, NWO Sting was in the main event of Nitro. So, William, does that sound like an episode you would have wanted to watch? Absolutely.
2: I would have been watching it, sure, man. I mean, like, the thing was, like, during this time period, like, I, I would be, like, or here's the thing, once nine o'clock, like, once, if eight o'clock, right, eight o'clock kicks off, I'm watching Nitro for that hour. Once nine hits, though, I'm raw all the way. That's the way, that's just, uh, you know, once what brought me back to wrestling was Steve Austin. Like every every so often there's one guy that like I just think is like a transcendiary figure like that I'm like, "Oh my god, like I I just completely identify with you." And that's I'm not the only one, that's why it worked because a billion people did this. They all identified with him. This is why the Summer of Punk was amazing because it was the first time since Steve Austin there was a guy like, "Yes, that guy speaks exactly with the way I the way I want to all the time. He's doing everything I want to." That being said though, depending on what was going on, commercial breaks or whatnot, I would have flipped back to Nitro and watched some of that. Absolutely. Dude, that that sure. best of seven is badass. Like that may be oh, yeah. like is is you know WCW is what it is at this time period. It's probably like the last like decent year. For them is 98. Like I like 98 in WCW. Maybe up until the fall. Like I think like once uh, Goldberg and DDP have their match, I think it's pretty much. I, I feel like that's where my my absolute liking for them kind of came apart. But that being said, th- those are still some compelling matches. With it, I don't think they measure up to the the energy of this show. But still, like. This is what made 98 so much fun, man. Was being able to, you know, fly, like, flip flop between these shows and everything, or put a tape in and tape the other one and go back later and watch it, things of that nature. Like, it was the best, man. Like, I know this was that area of time where the first time I saw the Panama City Nitro, which was, how oh, cool yeah. was that? I mean, this things coming out of a fucking helicopter, man. Like,
1: what is right, this? Right,
2: yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely, I would have enjoyed watching that show on and, and points to him for being able to match him on the rating.
0: Yeah, which I was actually kind of surprised about when I went back and watched it, because I assumed coming off a week where Nitro was pre-taped, I was I was thinking like, oh, well, Raw was so strong last week, they're not going to get those those viewers back. But they, they actually did. So I guess it speaks a little bit to the fact that Nitro was still pretty compelling viewing at this time, too, even though, you know, Raw was mostly winning week to week. But yeah, I mean, the fact that uh, Nitro only got one hour last week and the fans came back to put as many eyes on uh, nitro as they did on raw so yeah yeah kudos to uh to wcw there and so with that being said let's go to the raw synopsis so william now that you have rewatched this episode of raw would you still consider it to be your all-time favorite episode of the i still show? think it's my all-time favorite
2: like opening segment
0: favorite site uh, okay not the favorite but i said but I'd, 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 okay. like
2: overall though i still put this raw in very high company very high. I like this raw a lot. It's, it's it is one of my favorite raws to watch. I think the other one, when you, like the, the, the night after King of the rain is an incredible raw for the oh, for okay. the main event alone. It is an incredible raw yes. because it's like, we're going to get this on television. So, but as far as openings go, as opening segments go, like, man, th- there aren't a lot like in 98 that I think top this. You know, like, I think this is pretty damn up there. And people going to have their opinions right on. I'm, I, I welcome hearing people talk about the ones that they think are the
0: best. But this is the one for me, man. Awesome, man. Yeah. The, the one that stands out for me, actually, funny enough, is the, um, the post-WrestleMania 14 Raw. Because that's the Raw where you have... Triple H forming the new DX. You have Rock taking over the nation. It's the first night uh, with Austin as the WWF champion. Also, the first night where they're really touching off the Stone Cold versus Vince feud. So that's one that sticks out to me in my mind. Other than that, it's tough for me to really remember. You know, I tend to remember more the actual moments as opposed to the actual shows. You know what I mean? Because like sometimes I don't remember, you know, what all was on the same show and blah blah blah. But yeah, but this was, I I would say, again, like you said, a really strong opening to the show, uh, really strong ending as well, and, and a really strong show in general, really enjoyable. My only, I suppose, minor quibble, I could say, I guess, and again, this is a minor quibble, is just the fact that Vince, or excuse me, the fact that uh, Austin throughout the night basically got the better of Vince every time out, which would be fine, it's just that the fact that he's supposed to be going into these insurmountable odds at Over the Edge, you know, with with Vince Patterson and Briscoe all stacking the deck against him. So I would have maybe liked to have seen a little bit more of Vince maybe somehow getting one up on Austin again by the end of the night. But again, that's even a very minor nitpick because, again, you could just take Vince's mindset where it's like, well, your fun ends tonight. You had your fun, but now it's going to be all over as of this Sunday. So, yeah, another for I don't even know how many weeks in a row, I would say for me this is a strong thumbs up as well. And like you said, 1998, I would say ever since actually that episode of Raw, I just mentioned the post-WrestleMania Raw, they've really been knocking it out of the park because they've been, uh, you know, really, now that they're catching up to WCW, they're just, you know, popping them in the mouth every single week. They're really hitting them with a strong punch every single time out because now they've basically taken over the ratings lead. Except, of course, when they tie in a case like this. But, uh, I mean, they're really, they know, they have that sense of urgency where they know every week out they have to do, basically, you know, can you top this? So, again, yeah, really, really strong thumbs up from me as well and so with that being said if you have no nothing else uh, nothing further to add we can uh, wrap it up there. Is that yeah, sound good? yeah man totally cool fantastic so we'll leave it there as always I want to thank everyone for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast I am Henry Hugepex, the Suplex Throwing Human Duplex and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher or Google Play send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at Raw Attitude Pod, or more importantly, write us a five star review on iTunes, just like Mr. William Rankin has done, because that helps us find an even wider audience. And of course, if you do that, I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. So, William, before we depart, would you like to remind the fans once again where they can catch you outside of this fine podcast? Yes. So, however
2: you download podcasts, whether it's iTunes, whether it's an app through Android, Whatever. Look us up, New Blood Rising podcast. That's that's all you gotta search for. We of course welcome any type of, uh, just like Henry stated, the type of feedback on iTunes, whether it's reviews, whether it's ratings, things of that nature uh, for our show. But like I said, New Blood Rising podcast is how you can find us on Twitter. We're at New Blood Pod, and then you'll see in our description where each of our each of the hosts and their um, their Twitter handles for you know Charlie, Jason and martin as well so that's how you can uh, get in touch with us we do have facebook we're new blood rising podcast on there so there are a couple different ways you can get in touch with us and please do if you if you are a fan of vcw and you want to kind of go through kind of the mayhem that was especially in the early goings definitely check out season three of our show
0: for sure so and so far you guys are doing a great job on it so definitely people new blood rising podcast Gotta subscribe to it. Our fans have already heard Martin on the show a couple times now. They've heard you, so I think uh, what more do you guys need? I mean, come on, this is, it's a great show. Uh, I wouldn't have you guys on the show if I didn't think it was fantastic. And uh, again, you you and Martin, in terms of the Raw Attitude podcast, were both really uh, very early advocates for this show. And again, I have to really thank you guys for that because you know when I first started, uh, you know, nobody knew Dude, who the hell the show the, was. That's but- the thing.
2: Everybody starts. It's it, it's scary as hell your Twitter is zero followers, your, your listens are zero. And you're like, how is it going to work out? And the thing is like, they're upper tier podcasts. We know who they are. There are a couple They're the big guys out there that have the 5,000 followers. They, they probably do like 60,000 downloads and things of that nature. Um, every couple months or something of that, whatever. But you know, the, the fun thing about the fun thing about doing wrestling podcasts is the community aspect, and being able to you know listen to other people's shows, you know t- t- tweet them, talk about them on your show, so that you know you you really realize that we're all kind of in this together. You know, we're all in this yes. in the same boat here just trying to talk about old wrestling, you know, just because it's fun to do. Doing podcasts is fun because you get to talk with your friends. This is a, a, a recorded document that one day you can go back to or somebody else can go back to and be like, Jesus, listen to Henry back in the day, man. Listen to what he was doing back in the back in those uh, those mid-aughts uh, or whatever, things of that nature. It's fun. That's really the cool thing about all this. So please do. Check out, go to iTunes, hit up Henry's Twitter,
0: hit up Henry's iTunes for the Raw Attitude Pod. Just keep it going. We've got to keep the momentum going. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, we, we I would say on our note, we're getting a lot of uh, a lot of momentum on our end as well. The, it's nice to see, you know, the listens go up every month. So And, again, that's thanks to you guys advocating for us on Twitter so often and you've mentioned us on the podcast a couple times on the New Blood Rising podcast which really helps as well I'll actually say to our listens I, I think I tweeted this to you over uh, the past week where when you mentioned being on the show and Martin mentioned being on the show on the New Blood Rising podcast my listens got a spike this week from that because I'm assuming some of your fans were like oh what's this Raw Attitude podcast and you know maybe they want to hear Martin or they want to hear you on it so they, uh, so they give us a listen so so thank you again very much Absolutely. for that it's much appreciated Absolutely. Anytime. Awesome. And of course, before we go, as is the tradition, whenever a guest host joins the Raw Attitude podcast, I must ask the same question. Do you have a favorite match, promo, or moment that you would like me to play at the end of the show? If not, I will probably play my own embarrassing clip, like, oh, I don't know, that time when your fellow South Carolina native the Big Show got down on his knees and cried while begging John Laurinaitis not to fire him. Something like that, hypothetically.
2: Okay, so you... You, beyond the mat you mentioned earlier, which has the Vince, <laughs> Vince, uh, the job interview where Vince. Says, oh, he's gonna puke! Of course, like it's an amazing segment. <laughs> We've brought up this this other segment though on our show because it has to do with ECW. It is the bit where New Jack is introduced, and they're trying to market him as an actor. And you hear these guys, like the what, I don't know if they're agents or something like that. They're like, well, you know, we. He can't be Denzel, but maybe he'll be he could be Denzel's buddy. <laughs> oh. Yes, yeah, so that's right. The guy with the carved up forehead who jumps off of balconies who doesn't give a fuck when yeah. he wrestles. Yeah, he's gonna be Denzel's buddy. Perfect casting. That's the clip.
0: <laughs> perfect. Well, I, I don't even know that one, so I hope I can track it it's down. It's in Beyond the Wait, Mat. Uh, You'll find in there, man. Oh, it's yeah. in Beyond the Mat. Okay, perfect. Oh, I, I, you know what? I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. For some reason, I thought you were saying it was on an ECW show, but now that you're saying that, that, that does bring me back. It's been admittedly, I haven't seen Beyond the Mat since it was in theaters 17 years ago. Whereas I said, I actually saw it twice, even though we got the limited release. I went to the theater twice to see, to see friggin' Beyond the Mat when I was 17 years old. But uh, yeah. So you know what? I'll try to track that down. And again, William, thank you very much for joining the show. I know this was a long time in the making because we had discussed this months yeah. ago. But yeah, it was really great uh, recapping the show and uh, and getting to have you on the show thank as well. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you having me on. Fantastic. And once again, New Blood Rising podcast. Be sure to download that. Be sure to listen to it. And everybody else, we will catch you next time out. I, I
1: apologize. Apologize for what? I apologize for making fun of your voice and I'll never do it again. Are you happy now? Are you happy?
0: New Jack was coming to L.A. to visit. Truth be told, I was happy to see him. None of my friends had any justifiable homicides, let alone four. We were quickly becoming chums. He wanted to see if he could make it as an actor.
1: I just three white
0: so I got New Jack an appointment with a casting agent. Rolling. Looks like your
1: man did pretty good. Here you go. Your share, two hundred nineteen dollars. You telling me there was only one person in each car? That's right. And cut. That's good. Okay, the audition's over. It's goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Good to meet you. So Good well, work. I take the stairs. You got an extra uh, long audition. <laughs> thank you. Thanks I'm, so I can see real well, possibilities with I him. I think he could be a leading man. You do really? Absolutely, absolutely. I think he's got a great face. I think he's got sexuality, charm.
0: I think there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. I really I do. Think a lot but of
1: I mean, as far as the leading man thing, it's just that this is. He's guy. a little character. A, here, I think you're right, he'll be the, the best friend. I think he'll be Denzel's pal. I don't think he'll be Denzel.